0: Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Day. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is
1: one of the great ATQ writers, Adam Holland. How you doing? I'm doing well. Just uh, working for MLK Day, but uh, it's all good. We're going to get some good uh, topics covered today. Uh, yeah, well, the, the listener won't, uh,
0: uh, hear this until, uh, Tuesday when it is not a federal holiday. And so therefore <laughs> everything, uh, will be kosher. Um, so let's start out talking about, uh, men's basketball. Um, you know, uh, after Oregon got blew up by, uh, Colorado, uh, for like the millionth time uh, in in Boulder. Uh, you (laughs) were pretty inflammatorily headlined, uh, article about how the ducks were shooting themselves in the foot. Um,
1: they then, uh,
0: played again against Utah. How'd
1: that go again? Uh, about how it usually goes when we play in Salt Lake city. Yeah.
0: Which is interesting because they fired, uh, their coach K. Um, and you know, Dane Altman still owns Salt Lake city, I guess. Um, and, (laughs) Uh, so then they come back home. Uh, to play against you know they're they're gonna take on the the Arizona schools. Uh, in Mac Court. Uh, so they they face Arizona State first, and uh, oh my, you know, embarrassing blowout. Uh, just like you know, ridiculous loss. And like you know, I don't really think much of Bobby Hurley as a coach. I don't really think that ASU is going very far this year. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, they wound up losing by seventeen um just like yikes um so then uh you know it's it's your turn to to do the Arizona uh game Arizona's ranked number 9 uh in the country and and you asked me the day of like should I even bother putting up a game thread for this <laughs> uh <laughs> and I was like well so you know, it's a ranked opponent. And, uh, besides this is the kind of game that Dana, uh, Altman just, you know, wins, uh, you know, it's not like Arizona's, you know, beaten, uh, Oregon, uh, since 2015 in Eugene, uh, and the streak continued, um, you know, what a, you know, wacky, you know, lose a blowout, win a blowout, lose a blowout, win a blowout, you know, last four games. Um, pretty weird. What
1: do you think? Uh, do you see any rhyme or reason for what's going on with this team? Honestly, um, <clears throat> you know, you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the, the basketball guy. And so I'm, I'm, I'm keeping a, a heavy watch on these guys. And uh, honestly, it's, it's, it's tough to find the rhyme or reason. Um, I really think in the end, it's just coming down to kind of like mindset to be perfectly honest. Um, you 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 can't really be that inconsistent, uh, just due to like the physical aspects of play. Um, you know every every team can you know display like an off night and on night, but the, the the inconsistencies of this team have just been absolutely mind boggling. Um, what they showed up with on Saturday was an energy and an enthusiasm and a determination that. One feels like if they just show up with like, you know what I mean, a, a third of that, that they would probably be right in the thick of the race for the Pac-12 title. Um, the way the way that they came into that game against Arizona with the mindset, and and you know me, I've I've not been one to shy away from criticisms of them uh, lately. anybody who's read my articles knows as much. Um, and I've really kind of complained about their lack of killer instinct. I've, I've, I've just, you know, kind of complained about their, their showing up and they're just kind of like, all right, well, we're going we're here to play a game and we're the Ducks, so, you know, we should be able to take care of business. Whereas you look at the teams that have been successful for Altman, they had that killer instinct of like, we're going to, you know, we're going to take them down and then kick them wilder down. And Saturday they showed up with absolutely that kind of mindset. And... On the defensive end, I think, is where it makes all the difference. Um, If you're not hitting shots, which, let's face it, Oregon has had oodles of trouble this season not hitting shots, the only way you can hang in games is defensively. And so when you play defense to that level where literally everything that Arizona is trying to get is contested, blocked, stolen, scrapped, you know. It just, it, it it completely disrupts their flow of offense. And a lot of teams, if you just, if you can disrupt their offensive flow, even if they shoot well, if they don't really have much of a flow to their offense, you're going to be in the game against them. So, it just, man, it is, it is so frustrating. And you just you want to play devil's advocate and just hope that maybe this past game really was kind of like an eye-opener for the team. Like, hey, look what we're capable of if we just show up and attack with that killer mindset and that effort and that determination on the defensive end.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm a pretty... I'm a pretty schematically and statistically oriented, uh, sports fan. Um, and a lot of times, you know, talk about stuff like, you know, energy and determination kind of gives me the, the willies. Um, but I mean, you're not, you're not blowing smoke. Like it's very clear. Like, yeah, no, it's very clear that there is a certain energy, like they were playing with a lot of energy. Um, uh, you know, against Utah and against Arizona, and they just look dead on the floor, uh, you know, just like, you know, low energy against Colorado and, and Arizona state. And like, and particularly on the defense, you know, I, I, you know, the, the offense, you know, sometimes your hands just go cold and, and, you know, I, I'm not really sure that energy has a whole lot to do with that or focus or, you know, any of those other psychological factors. Sometimes your hands are just cold You and know, it's just like, okay. Um, And, and, you know, okay, that's fine. You make it a low scoring game and, and you, you know, you play with energy on the defense, but if, you know, you can't both have cold hands on offense and be low energy on defense and win basketball games, um, and like you know honestly i don't really have an explanation for it on uh, with the colorado game I, I mean really honestly the the fact that dana altman can't win with the one exception in boulder is like at this point it's just sort of like funny almost um like if that if if the arizona state loss hadn't happened and the, and colorado was just in isolation i would probably just like kind of laugh it off you know um yeah. But, like, it was the same – that same sort of, like, dead energy, you know, especially on defense against Arizona State. Um, you know, there's a couple of things, you know, that I noticed, uh, however. Uh, one is, um, you know, getting back a couple of guys from injury. And, and they were back for the Arizona State game, but I, I thought I thought both uh, Cousinard and Biddle looked, like, kind of rusty. You know, like, they were definitely they, – they, they were back for the asu game but they weren't starting and they you know they had relatively limited time you know off the bench and you know they just weren't re- really you know particularly impact players but you know fast forward a few days to arizona and that's the you know that's the the starting change that that altman makes is uh soars and um and uh rigsby uh are are not starting and instead he starts uh cousinard and biddle um and you know they combine for 37 points uh against um against arizona uh the the other thing that i noticed uh, about the asu game is if you pull off the box score um like it's the arizona state's box score is not doesn't look like the box score of a team that just pulled a big, uh, road upset. Um, they, they hit about, you know, three more three pointers than they probably should have, you know, they, they shot 44% or almost 49, 45% from, uh, the three point line. And that's, you know, a little higher than expected, you know, so that's, you know, let's say that that's nine points, you know, of the discrepancy. Um, and, and like, if the opponent just gets hot from three, like, you know, w- that, that's another thing that's sort of like there's not much you can do about that sometimes it just happens and you need to outscore them except oregon wasn't outscoring them and fa- you know that that the flip side of the coin on the asu game is they you know oregon was shooting under 50 percent from the floor they in fact fairly poorly 42 percent um uh, all, of all field goals you know 25 for 59 um But they, you know, they made almost all of their free throws, their rebounding numbers are good, you know, they they had a bunch of steals, you know, they didn't really turn the ball over that much. It's just sort of like, Arizona State's outscored them, which like, no, duh, that's how you lose every game. But like, you know Arizona State got a little hot from behind the line and Oregon was a little cold from the floor but otherwise this box score doesn't really look like Arizona, a dominant Arizona State win like to understand it you had to have watched the game and if you watched the game it was exactly Adam as you describe it's just sort of a low energy performance on defense um yeah. you know the kind of thing where if you're cold you know, as their as Oregon's field goal percentage indicates, your hands are cold, you gotta play high energy on defense. And if you can't stop them from behind the arc uh, you better, you know, contest, you know, everything inside, not let them, you know. And instead, you know, uh, Arizona State shoots a bunch from inside, and they're, you know, shooting at about, you know, a slightly above 50%. And, you know, Oregon's got to drag them down to their, you know, if the, if the opponent is shooting, you know, above 44% three, and you're shooting under 42%, from field goal, you got to make the opponent's two point shots, you know, drag to the floor and you got to put them into foul trouble. You know, you got to be, that's the other thing that, I, you know, I've noticed is that, you know, Oregon was not doing a very effective job, um, you know, getting, uh, you know, Arizona state players to sit down, uh, you know, by, by, you know, picking up defensive fouls, um, by playing aggressively, you know, on offense. And then like all of that changes, you know, against Arizona. Uh, actually, let me stop there. Is everything I say make sense to you? Like, do you endorse, you
1: know, that particular
0: way of yeah. looking at your state loss?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I I agree because, like I said, when you if you just look at it, you know, box score and stats wise it's it's not going to jump out to you as, as like it oh doesn't my God, look they got the score. yeah
0: the the box score you know if you sort of zoom out a little bit look at the key stats the box score doesn't look like a 17 point win in which arizona state controlled the entire game the box score looks like maybe a five point win um but you know, and, and and the difference, you know, the reason why it was a blowout was, was you know, I wanted to go back to to what you were saying. It came down to energy, it came down to not yeah. driving and and not, um, you know, reducing their. Uh, t- uh, you know, two point field goal percentage, you know, with more energetic defense and more, you know, takeaways. Now you fast forward to Arizona, all of that flips, you know? So first of all, you get a great performance out of Cousinard and Biddle, um, who are coming off of injuries and, you know, look like, you know, that they got the rust knocked off. Um, you, uh, uh, you had, you know, statistically, it sort of looks the same. You know, Oregon shoots 53% from the floor, 33% or 34% from the three-point line. They make, you know, 80% of their their free throws. It's, you know, all, all of the offensive numbers are pretty much, it's it's a standard game. It doesn't look like a blowout. But what mm-hmm. does look like a blowout is when you look at uh, Arizona's box score, which is horrendous. Um, yeah. You know, the, they shot 37.5 from the floor. Um, which is, like, horrible. And, I mean, like, really, nobody is, you know, if the opposing team just plays normal basketball and you shoot 37.5% from the floor, you will lose every game that you play. Like, that's horrible. And it comes down to... Well, a couple of things. One you already mentioned, which is, you know, really aggressive uh, defense, not just like getting in their face and stuff, but like, you know, the stuff that actually gets recorded. So a ton of steals, a ton of blocks, a ton of takeaways, um, a ton of uh, defensive rebounds. Um, uh, uh, you know, um, the Oregon had 29 defensive rebounds uh, in that game. Um yeah. you know, just like high energy stuff. And then I think you also sort of have to, you know, combine it with some recognition of the fact that like like their big tubelus was completely ineffective in the game. Like there was a mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and on top of that, they put Kreisa, uh, you know, into foul trouble, uh, you know, fairly early. So they had to play their backup point. Um, and he's just not as effective. Um, and, uh, you know, some of that comes from energy, but some of it just like Arizona was cold, like. I mean, like to was completely ineffective in the post, like, like, you know, and yeah, Oregon was mobbing him and Oregon's got some bigs and, you know, Oregon's probably got more and better bigs than anybody Arizona is going to play in the Pac-12. 12. That is Oregon's sort of talent advantage. They can neutralize your big, um, if they're playing with energy, but like, I I don't know, man, like every time Arizona went to jack up a shot, I was like, oh, that's not going in. And every time they dished it down to DeBellis down low, I was like, "He's not going to make this," and I, I was right, you know, or my yeah. my gut feeling was correct. Um, and and so you know that that's how you know that's how you produce a blowout. You know that you you know they're having a cold night, and you're playing energetically on defense, and then you just do your job on offense. Like, yeah, yeah, that's blowout. That's blowout. Yep.
1: And um, really, I I, I do think that uh. One thing that's kind of been lost in all this is is the consistency of Dante and how well he's actually been playing this season. And I think this time on a national stage against a top 10 ranked opponent, you really saw just how much he's improved, Uh, especially considering that Arizona comes in boasting, you know, one, one of the better twin tower attacks in the nation and Dante pretty much single-handedly neutralized both of them while just exploding himself. And so, I, um, you know, hey, that, that, that's a, that's an area of consistency that you have, to, you have to grab onto at this point. I know the game of basketball has changed. It's spread out more. It's, you know, it's, it's more fast-paced. There's not as much working around a center. But if you have a big that's performing like that, consistently which Dante is even in losses you have to start retooling that to be, maybe be like okay maybe our offense does need to be inside out you know and and we we just kind of start with working the ball into him and he can create openings on the outside that that would be interesting to
0: see i haven't really seen them play that way yet um mostly what i've been seeing with dante is just like thunder dunks you know like he seems like he and will richardson are really building a nice connection um where you know they're getting in passes either alley oops or or little bouncers you know inside dishes and shovels you know to to you know because he he doesn't need a a runway to dunk it right like all you need is you know he needs to be somewhere near the basket um and and he can just vert you know vertically go up and dunk it and and like and it's like even if you didn't watch a second of this game which you know boy you missed a game um but even if you didn't just like dante's stat line is incredible nine for 11 um from the floor uh which you know hard to miss a dunk Um, he yeah. every single one of his free throws and he was drawn fouls. Um, he gets, uh, you know, four offensive rebounds, six defensive rebounds. That's a, and, you know, speaking of energetic, uh, play, um, uh, he, he gets two blocks and three steals, um, you know, and if you did watch the game, God bless you because you got to watch, you know. The the most humiliating steal to uh into a dunk into just absolutely posterizing, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, I don't think I've yeah, seen a posterization
1: that that beautiful since uh Freddie Jones was was suiting up for Oregon, yeah, I know that
0: that poster that everybody's you know, every Duck fan had up in their yeah. bedroom, uh, Freddie Jones, yeah, right, I mean, like. Oh man. And then like in the post game, you know, presser afterwards, like, you know, Dante's like, yeah, that dude talks shit all the game long. Like he really <laughs> kind of annoys me. And so it was so fun to embarrass him. him. <laughs> yeah, no, it was like, boy, I, I kind of dig this era in which people just say stuff like that, you know, like they don't wrap it around in some polite language. Just like, you know, yeah. he annoys me. So it was fun to embarrass him. was <laughs> <It's> like, yeah, <laughs> I'll bet. Um, and then Cousinard off the bench, six for nine, um, from the three point line. Like, yeah, he was, he was incredible. Yeah. You know, shooting 66% from the arc and just 18 points, you know, for, I mean, 18 points is the margin of victory, you know, like the, like, you know, his his three pointers alone, you know, (laughs) you know, put Oregon, you know, well over the top and like, uh, you know, we, and we hadn't basically seen him all year, right? No, uh, and now and, we and
1: saw he, what he's what he's really capable of when he's healthy and out there.
0: Yeah, and uh, yeah, you know, uh, I'm I'm sure South Carolina fans are are pretty angry at Oregon. They, they, you know, they, they took a pretty, you know, awesome uh, uh, player apparently in Cousinard uh, for the basketball team. And, and uh, as we'll talk about um, in a minute here, they took a pretty awesome edge rusher from the football team.
1: (laughs) Yep. We're, we're Robin, Robin, South Carolina blind at this point
0: hey let's take a break uh when we come back we'll uh, talk about oregon's uh, edge rush coming up in 2023 on the football side so adam uh on thursday of this week uh, a couple days after this podcast will be posted uh you're going to be writing up a preview of what uh, oregon's edge rush is going to look like um uh, uh, uh uh, as a uh, somebody who you know keeps track of the entire roster, you know my contribution to the conversation is uh, there's no one left from last year's edge rush. Um, you know it's pretty much entirely new guys, um, so you got your work cut out for you. You know I think by my count, I think they've got um, eight. Uh, true freshmen, um, that they're bringing in who are, you know, either outside linebacker, you know, the, the Jack OLB in the structure or defensive end. Um, uh, plus, well, uh, four true freshmen and one transfer, Birch, as we mentioned, uh, uh, before the break. Um, and, uh, you know, all the OLBs except for Mace Funa and the two true freshmen last year, Marion Winston and Anthony Jones transferred out. Like that, those six dudes, um, from the OLB unit, you know, six of the seven, uh, uh, guys who returned from 2021, uh, have now departed. Um, and then on the, the end. Um, you know, Brandon Dordalus returns, uh, and so far, you know, Trevin my eye and, and uh, Jake Shipley have not yet, uh, announced that they're going to transfer. Although I kind of have a feeling that they're going to, um, so, you know, really it's two experienced guys on the ends, uh, Funa and Dordalus, and then it's probably going to be all new guys, right?
1: Yeah. Um, you're, you're, definitely looking at, at an, at a new overhaul, um, which which is good. It, it's good. Um, if, if there was one thing the Oregon defense was, was lacking this past season, it was a, a, a more effective pass rush. And um, so here's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll throw in a little teaser of kind of what I'm going to cover in my article here. Um, it, it has now been confirmed that uh, Cameron Rising is, is returning to Utah. Now, uh, the guy did not play very well against us this year uh but most of the time he's been pretty damn consistent and that just leads uh leaves an, another you know great performing leader quarterback in the Pac12 um thank god Nick's you know decided to come back so we have one of them as well uh but then you you know you have um Williams the Heisman winner coming back to USC uh, you have Penix, who just you know exploded onto the scene this year coming back to washington you have rising returning to utah oregon state although uh is, is has taken a, you know a step back at clemson from you know the hype that he had coming in he's still a big big step up for them quarterback wise fact of the matter is oregon is going to be faced with a lot of really talented quarterbacks and so what's the best way you know, to defend against a quarterback. You know, a lot of people might say a great secondary, you know, great cover corners. But really, when it gets down to the nitty-gritty of it, it's pressure. It's, it's you know, I mean, even, even the all-time greats in the NFL have had trouble when they're under severe pressure. And so to, uh, to have this many different players now uh, being able to generate a pass rush, a really effective pass rush for Oregon... I think that just that that plays right into what they'll need when facing these great quarterbacks, and I think that the 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 birch transfer was just kind of like the you know the the cherry on the sundae because I already you know pointed out when I was covering um you know early signing day how well they did defensively uh, with the you know with the addition of ukulele uh, and. Um, and you you know you look over and you have guys like Blake Purchase and you know and you're and you're really already like okay we can generate a great pass rush but then you bring in a guy like Birch who's you know already a proven commodity and uh, you know kind of like you were saying you have you know Brandon Dorless returning along the defensive line you have um, in the Holiday Bowl May Funo was able to show that from you know a linebacker position he can be a very effective pass rusher and so when you're when you're coming into the 2023 season it's just like okay. We have an incredible, you know, quarterback who's a great leader who can put up like Heisman-like stats. Well, so do like you know three or four other Pac-12 teams, most likely. So what's the difference going to be there? Well, the difference is going to be which of those quarterbacks is going to be under the most pressure, which of those quarterbacks is going to be under the most duress from the opposing team's defense. And I really like what I'm seeing uh, with 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 Landing and Company loading up and on those on those edges and providing that kind of that, that pressure that we're going to need for those quarterbacks.
0: Well, I mean, it really is loading up. I mean, like I said, it's going to be, you know, eight new guys. Um, And, uh, and, you know, I think, so you're right about Birch. He was a five-star uh, for, for South Carolina. You know, he comes in. He's got the measurables you want. Um, you know, he's definitely seen playing time uh, before. Um, and then, you know, you also have Matayo Uyunglele. Uh, you know, in case anybody's confused, they're brothers. DJ Uyunglele was the quarterback at Clemson, who is now transferred to the other Orange School, Oregon State. And Oregon, uh, the the Ducks got his younger brother, Matayo. Yes. Young for, forgive me um, for not
1: specifying that and just putting. Yeah, the right. So there there is a little was confusing. A, yeah.
0: Right. There's one, a I was re- one, one, I was
1: referring to one of the quarterbacks that we'll be rushing against. And one, I was referring to one of the rushers. I know they're sending after that
0: quarterback. There <laughs> is a potential for some brother on brother violence.
1: Um, Absolutely.
0: The final week of the regular season, which would just be delightful. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, so I, I, I figure in the structure of Lanning's defense that, you know, Mace Funor remains an OLB, of course. Um, Winston and Jones both returned. They were true freshmen who didn't play last year, Um, but, you know, they – they redshirted and we'll, you know, we'll see what they can do. But they've had now a year um, in the system and in the weight room and, and, and so forth. So actually give them, you know, a decent shot uh, to play some serious pass rush minutes. Well, you know, we'll have to see, but like, you know, this is when you expect to see them if they're going to do it. Um, and then Birch, you know, the transfer and the, commo- you know, the proven commodity and the five star. And then I think Uyangulele, because he's also a five star and he also has the measurable. Um, could also be, you know, a true freshman player. So, you know, I really think that you've got five different dudes competing for, it's one job on the field, but there are configurations in which they play both a strong and a weak side, OLB, so you could have two of those guys playing simultaneously, but most of the time they're playing in their nickel configuration. But they have sort of a and oh you know a nickel configuration when they're on standard downs in which i think that Funa will play and then they have a different configuration when they're either going to blitz or they're expecting a pass or whatever in which case maybe a guy who's more like a dedi- more more dedicated go get the quarterback guy and then we'll see you know i i suspect uh, you know i'm not sure how this is going to play out but i'm just looking at their measurables and their stats like you know both Birch and Uyanglole are 6-5 you know they got long limbs um, and, you know, they're playing weight right now uh and um whereas and, and I guess there's a possibility too Terrence green um, he's not quite as highly rated but he is a four star and you know that's a, that's another guy he's 65 265 or at least that's how he's listed on 247 um Oregon hasn't posted their official weights because Oregon is real slow on posting weights I don't understand why that is they get the rest of their measurables in but they wait to put up the you know with their weigh in I don't understand anyway uh, 247 has green listed at 265 that probably means he's playing weight on the other hand um jaden moore the other true freshman who i have penciled in as an olb um he's you know he's long enough for it but he's about 30 pounds underweight uh, right now i sort of expect he's gonna red shirt um but like you know but that you nonetheless you know so if we're going to include green i count six dudes funa winston jones birch and green who are all they all have the dimensions for it um they have some experience in the room. They've got some really high talent, you know, like I said, long arms, um, and, uh, you know, just built, you know, like pass rushers. Um, and you know, they really, you know, they need two, maybe three guys, you know, to complete the rotation. And if you've got six, you know, looking like playable dudes and you need to get three out of that room. Okay. I like those odds, you know, I, I, I yeah, I, uh, I, I mean, I want to, I'm looking forward to it in spring ball, but I like those odds, you know, um, is that how you see the OLB room, uh, as well, like separating that out from the defensive ends, which we'll talk about in a second. Is that how you see the OLBs?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, like I said, you know, there's, there's certain talent that you're just, you know, not going to be able to, to keep off the field, uh, when it comes to the nitty gritty of it. Uh, so when you have um, guys on the edge that can create, um, you know, pressure even from the uh, uh, the linebacker positions, um, I think um, basically what you're looking at is uh, the ability of um, not only the the, uh, the outside linebackers to create pressure, but the the inside linebackers to be able to go straight through the middle and stop the you know stop the the dual threat, um, right? Because if you're if you're talking about like stopping these these quarterbacks that you know that I've I've gone over that uh, you know are so great um, you know majority of them they they're not just good with their uh, with their arms they're good with their legs too and so when you have you know the situation where you're kind of you know sending linebackers outside um, you know, to, to, pressure from the edges, you also have to think, well, you know, if you get pressure off the edges, how's that going to work for the middle? Cause sometimes there can be openings and, you know, you look at guys, right. especially, you know, you know, rising has shown it enough. Uh, Penix, Penix, not bad, uh, but particularly, you know, Caleb Williams, uh, you know, if you, you let them loose right up the middle, right there is going to be a big problem. So, um, yeah, Yeah. I agree. There's just way too many
0: scrambly quarterbacks. Like you, you need to have, I mean, that that's the virtue of the edge rush is that you can do it from the outside. And so you limit the ability for the quarterback to, 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 to flip out. Um, And then, you know, the the way that landing structures defense. Yeah, I mean, like Jeffrey Bossa was Oregon's, the inside linebacker, the converted safety inside linebacker was Oregon's most effective, you know, dude getting to the quarterback last year because the nature of the simulated pressures and also because like Oregon would do a lot of these squeeze pressures, you know, and and the quarterback would try to escape inside and that's where, you know, Bossa, who's you a quick dude, be able to, you know, take that take that guy down so like yeah you know they all sort of they have to work in conjunction but like just the basic philosophy of Lanning's defense is you need those four dudes who are up front the nose tackle the defensive tackle the defensive end and the uh, the jacko will be like those four dudes both against the pass and the run have to get stuff done on their own like they don't the whole the whole point of the mint front um And the, you know, sort of the tight front, you know, from which it descends is like your dudes up front need to be, you know, lone wolves or those four, you know, they don't get ILB help the ILBs or if ILB help is coming, it's coming late because the first thing they do is defend against short passes because that's that's the philosophy of this defense is that, you know, we're afraid of 10 yard passes more than we're afraid of five yard runs. Um, and so the ILBs, you know, back out. Um, and, uh, so the, the, the dudes up front, you know, need to, you know, against the run, it's a spill and kill philosophy and against the pass it's, we need to generate pressure with four, um, and even if that's simulated pressures in which an ILB rushes and an OLB drops or something like that, or even a DE drops, we saw that a couple of times. Um, like, yeah, those guys need to get, it, get it done on their own. Um, and that like your, you know you are going to see some blitzing but just like philosophically the idea is more resources and coverage and more and dudes doing more with less up front um and you know definitely sort of going after some talent and some body types that fit this defensive philosophy like it was very evident in this recruiting class um that landing wants to make this defense his own and that you know all that work that i did last off season to try to figure out what what does that mean What is, you know, Dan Lanning making the defense his own mean in terms of like what body types, what philosophy or whatever, like this is the, this is the payoff. This is the, you know, looking at these, these, these new dudes and then on the defensive ends this is obviously this is sort of fluid like I, i'm making some guesses here based on measurables and then but like who knows if those measurables are accurate or like how guys are you know going to transform their bodies you know during the off season but like i've got for the defensive end position um you know doorless returns um right now anyway trevin my and jake shipley return i don't you know, I sort of expect those guys to transfer out. But I don't know. They were playing in the bull game and not bad. Like, I guess we'll see. Um, and then it's four true freshmen, you know, who are all 6'3". Um, Blake purchased Johnny Bowen's Ashton Porter and Tatum Tuiati. Um, is interesting. He's the coach's kid, right? He's he's the defensive yeah. line coach Tuiati's son. You know, who sort of I I expect him to be a technically proficient you know player because coaches' kids usually are. Um, but he's you know he's underweight for the role right now. I fully expect him to redshirt. Um, but like uh, you know purchase bowens and porter there's a good chance that they put on the the extra weight they need to um, you know, in, in the you know this off season, and our playable defensive ends at like the two seventy or so range, two sixty five, two seventy range. Like, I think all of those guys are viable. You know, we'll see how it goes in spring, um, and, and we'll see how it goes in fall. I, you know, we're projecting forward like eight months. <laughs> um, yeah, but like again, you know, that's a room where I think they will have somewhere between four and six. Um, available dudes for, for whom they're, they're really only going to need two guys. Um, because like the cup runneth over for Oregon for the inside. You know, we haven't, we're not really talking about the tackles in this segment or, or I think in your article because you're talking about the edge rush. Um, but Oregon's got, you know, got a ton of tackles, right? Like they, they get Amavai coming back, you know, from injury. They have Taimani and, uh, and, you know, Casey Rogers and, and, uh, and Keon Ware Hudson and and you know, a bunch of dudes, um, you know, Keanu Williams, who I was a little sad to see go. Cause I, I really liked him in the 2021 class. I really thought he might've been coming into his own, but like, it's just so full. And then they, you know, and they took a bunch of dudes. Like, it's not like they didn't take any DTs um, in the, in the, the 2023 class. So like, yeah, Oregon's got a really full defensive line room. So um, some guys could move around a little bit, but, but yeah, no, I mean, obviously Dorlis has his spot. He's been, you know, a stud since day one he was playing as a true freshman in 2019 i was like i went out of my way when i was writing articles in 2019 you know film review articles to highlight like look at brandon freaking doorless man like true freshman you know just tearing people up i I particularly enjoyed my rose bowl review you know putting in the clip of like brandon doorless you know, mid three star from Florida, true freshman destroying the reigning at you know, Remington Trophy winning center, just absolutely yeah. humiliating him. Cause I mean, let's be honest, that dude won that award. Cause he was from Wisconsin. Like those <laughs> people you who know, handle those awards don't actually watch film. Uh, and like, yeah, I wrote in my Wisconsin preview, like, I think this dude's gettable and you know, who was getting him was Brandon doorless and he was doing it as a true freshman. So I've always been in love with that dude. Um, he's obviously got his job, you know, locked down and like, um, he's, you know, pretty ideal uh, for the defensive end spot. So it's really just a question of, like, who's his backup, you know. Um, and uh, some of it is solved by some of the defensive tackle, you know, players because they're sort of fluid up in the front, you know. And, and so this is sort of like a less high-stakes proposition than, like, where's the dedicated pass rush coming from. But, you know, I think they got options. It, it, it may very well be, you know, some true freshmen, Um uh you know and we're just going to have to see how they develop but like you know Bowen's comes in at 265 like he's not far from playing weight and you know and Dorles proved that you can play as a true freshman you know for Oregon so uh you know uh, we'll see how it goes but they got options you know
1: yeah absolutely
0: um so we will look forward to your article on Thursday, you know, running down uh, the OLBs and the defensive ends, you know, so many new faces would be good, I think, for fans to, to familiarize themselves for, as you say, the, you know, the great missing, you know, the dog that didn't bark, you know, for, for Oregon's defense last year and, and prospects for improving it. So I'm looking forward to reading your article, Adam. Thank you. Uh, all right, let's take a break. Uh, we come back, uh, we will talk about new Oregon offensive coordinator for the football team, uh, Will Stein. Well, uh, it has been an interesting couple of weeks uh, studying UTSA's offensive film, the University of Texas at San Antonio Roadrunners. Um, they are now the two-time uh, defending champions of Conference USA. Um in fact, they got Seth Luttrell fired uh, at North Texas um, for beating him twice in one year. Um, the uh, 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 Will Stein is a very young offensive coordinator. Um, he was on my radar screen. Well, basically, as soon as. Um, as soon as Herm Edwards got fired for losing to Eastern Michigan at Arizona State, uh, I sort of foresaw the way the dominoes would fall um, and started getting, you know, tape on on young offensive coordinators with, you know, very productive advanced stats uh, offenses. And, and uh, Will Stein was one of the the, the the couple of guys who met that criteria. So I managed to acquire all of UTSA's film. And over the last two weeks, I've watched it all. I've done all of the charting. Uh, I have all of the advanced stats ready to go for them. That's what people tune in to listen to for podcasts, right? Is people yeah, yeah, hiding yeah numbers. <laughs> Uh, but like, I mean, look in the team talent comp in two four sevens, team talent composite, um, UTSA's roster in 2022, um, ranked number 78 in, in the country, not a particularly talented team. Um, they, uh, they, they, the, the program is not very old. Like they just started up football like a decade ago. Um, they're highest rated offensive recruit in the entire program history prior to the 2023 cycle, which obviously they're, they did not have access to 2023 guys in 2022. Uh, their highest rated offensive recruit was a uh, 0.8673, which is a mid three star. Um, like they'd literally never even had a four star. They'd never even had a high three star, um, ever in the history of the program on offense. So this is not a particularly, um, talented team. And yet, Uh, they are in, in F plus advanced stats, they ranked number 26, uh, in offense, you know, they punched way, 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 way above their weight class. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, beta rank, um, uh, by my friend, an advanced stats system that's done by my friend Rob And, Um, you know, in particular, you know, uh, number 29 in play based efficiency, number 34 in explosive plays, number 38 in not having negative drives, um, uh, number 30, uh, um, in pass, uh, efficiency, um, like you know just really like a really you know high quality offense um and especially and th- which is borne out by advanced stats you know not just like the raw stats which can sometimes be misleading um and multiple different you know advanced statistical systems are just like yeah this is a good offense man um yeah. and so and and not just a good offense but punching way above its weight class um and, uh, and they played a fairly tough schedule. Um, uh, or at least in the, the non conference, in the non conference, they played, uh, Houston and Army and, uh, Texas, you know, U- UT Texas at Austin. Um, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, it was, you know, sort of brutal. Uh, and, and yet they held their own. In fact, they were leading Texas for a good chunk of the game. Um, yeah. it, was, it was pretty fun to watch.
1: So the question, the couple questions that I have for you uh, regarding this new offensive coordinator and at least what you've seen from him schematically. Uh, first and foremost, what we saw from Knicks uh, this season at Oregon was not something that we've seen at Auburn as far as the consistency of, of his great play. Uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of that was credited to his relationship with Dillingham. Uh, now heading into you know 2023, again... I, I don't think anybody's overlooking Nick's anymore. I think you know he'll he'll be on the Heisman watch list, um, and then and you look at the talent that he has around him to to get the ball to. Um, you know you're talking. Uh, you know you have uh, Franklin. Uh, you know you have uh, Ferguson, who you know showed that he was you know a big time uh, tight end in the Holiday Bowl, and then uh, you know you you look down the way you you see uh, Dickey, the you know the five star. Uh, for the um, uh, the incoming class, and then you have you know you have Johnson, you have Holden in the transfer portal, and and with the way Nick's throws the ball, you know it, it looks like this could be one of the best aerial attacks that Oregon's seen. H- how do you see that you know that that going under what you've seen from Stein's offense, and, and can they kind of replicate Nick's success in in twenty twenty two under Dillingham?
0: I think. Okay. You, you sort of asking two different questions there. Let me answer both of them. Um, I, I, I don't know how well Nix and Stein will get along. I hope well. Um, I'm not sure how much the relationship between Nix and Dillingham was relevant to Nix's performance simply because he you know, he he'd been around for a long time, you know, like this is his fourth year as a starting quarterback or 2022 was 2023 will be his fifth year. Um, Yeah. I sort of think that the relationship is not super, you know, the, the, the relevant thing about Nick's frankly, is that he's a super accurate quarterback. I mean, like super accurate quarterback. He's literally the number one quarterback in all of FBS in terms of completion percentage in 2022. Um, and it's, and that's with, you know, that the, 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 two and change games where he was injured and, and throwing like weirdly inaccurate balls. Um, you know, like if that injury hadn't have happened, he might've set all time FBS records in terms of accuracy. Um, and I don't really think that has anything to do with Dillingham. Really. I think that's just natural. That's just natural talent. Um, and I also think that a large part of why he, you know, you, you got Oregon, Bone Nix and not Auburn Bone Nix it was all the surrounding pieces in particular he had a way better offensive line um protecting him at Oregon than he did at Auburn you know obviously I do tons of film study on Oregon but I also did a bunch of film study on Auburn and and like the the two different Thing you know, the two different things that you need in order to make a quarterback look good were the opposite of making him look good at Auburn. Like, the offensive line stunk, and they really only usually had one wide receiver. Like, a whole ton of his throws were going to his fullback. Um, you know, he so he's scrambling for his life and throwing the ball to a fullback. Like, yeah, no. No shit his numbers looked bad at Auburn. Like, you know, and, and no shit Auburn, his numbers look great. He's a naturally accurate quarterback who never has to worry about pressure and uh, has, you know, a bunch of four-star actual wide receivers to throw the ball to. Like, yeah, I mean... No shit, man. Um, and like Kenny Dillingham could have been playing golf and he, you know, <laughs> and Knicks would have run this offense pretty well, you know, just given the talent around him. Um, uh, so then the other question is like, so, so how is, you know, this transition to, to Will Stein is going to go, obviously I, you know, I can't, quite predict that um uh but i will say the offense that i watch utsa is definitely compatible with the offense you know that oregon has been running for the last several year or you know obviously it's sort of you know it's been different going joe moorhead to kenny dillingham to now will stein you know there's some differences but you know it's basically an 11 personnel sometimes 12 you know spread shotgun offense um uh you know they uh the Um, you know, the playbook is fairly similar in terms of its composition. The balance is somewhat different, you know, and that's really what much of my article is going to be about is, okay, here were the differences in priorities that Stein was, that that Stein demonstrated while he was calling plays in San Antonio Um, and like And how do I explain them? Um, And there's a bunch of explanations. So like number one is their offensive line in San Antonio was just totally injured to hell last year. I'm not, I'm not kidding. They had five different offensive tackles get hurt over the course of the year. Um, And so uh, their quarterback who Stein like developed and, you know, Frank Harris, uh, great quarterback, you know, just, you know, and, and for like, he's been their quarterback for like five years and he's coming back again. Um, uh, Harris is, Bo Nix is a more talented quarterback than Frank Harris. I'll just say it like, um, you know, I enjoyed watching Frank Harris. Um, I, he's got a ton of moxie. He's a great scrambler. Um, he has to be a great scrambler. Um, uh, uh, on my charting, um, a 27 percent of all dropbacks, um, uh, resulted in a sack scrambler throwaway. Like that's a bad number, you know, that indicates bad offensive line play. Um, and, uh, uh, um, 520 of their total offensive or passing, uh, yards or sorry of, uh, of all yards that they got outside of garbage time that came on designed passing plays, uh, which was about 3,200, um, 520 of them came on scramble plays, uh, about 50, 50, you know, scramble passes and, and scramble runs, meaning more than 16% of, Uh, UTSA's pass based offense, um, was Harris making up plays. Um, like the, like the offensive volume was just so bad. Um, and, uh, and, and and they also just sort of their run game was fairly efficient, but it was not very explosive. And they had a really high yakko rate, um, yard after contact only. Um, about twenty five percent of their um, successful runs were um, were runs that should have been failed runs, but the, the the running back sort of like bruised his way forward to flip the play from a win to, or from a, a failed play to a successful play. You know, which is not not good. You know, Oregon's is more like eleven percent um, in twenty twenty to um so like that's sort of the major limitation and then the other you know man this is also really interesting about stein is that like he's a very young oc and i watched his i watched his playbook change or not his playbook because it's pretty much the same plays but like just different priorities like different you know emphasis certain certain plays get called way more often and certain plays get called way less often and the split is after week five there's it's really two different offenses the first five weeks is one uh playbook which is um it's it's totally dominated by short passes and not rpos it's just it's almost like an air raid i mean it's not an air raid passing tree but it's like air raid kind of philosophy like high level strategic philosophy where they're marching slowly down the field with like six yard passes um Like, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a ton of passes that are just like, it's little slants and, and hitches and throws to the flat. And they had really good wide receivers, like way better wide receivers than CUSA teams had defensive backs. And so a lot of their explosive passing plays are really just short passing plays that then the wide receiver makes the DB look foolish and gets another like 15 yards after the catch. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, for sure. Um, Um, but, but then, but then there's this change starting in week six and for the rest of the season in which he switches up. First of all, he starts running the ball more often, which is interesting because they're not a great running team, but he uses it to set up all these RPO plays. Um, the RPO just completely takes over the offense. In fact, I was seeing stuff like Joe Moorhead stuff, like that triple option yeah. play. They ran that triple option play more and more and more towards the end of the year. By the time they were in the conference championship, they were running they, they ran that play like six times a game. Um and like and very well too, which like that's not an easy play to implement. Um like the the playbook just sort of got like I don't know, I, I sort of for lack of a better term, I, I, I think I watched Will Stein become a a better and more creative and sort of more, I I watched him blossom. I guess I would say as a, as a play caller over the course of a season, it was really kind of a treat. Um, and, uh, and I'm not saying that he blossomed into a clone of Kenny Dillingham or a clone of, uh, Joe Moorhead, but like, I definitely saw him. I, I saw him, I believe reassess his playbook after week five, um, uh, uh uh and starting in week six you know start calling plays in sort of a different priority and with different sort of sequencing and like i really dug it um and uh, uh yeah yeah that was uh that was interesting to see um now does yeah. that sort of continue in Eugene i have no way of predicting that but like i like to see dudes growing up you know i, yeah. you know, I what, what i don't yeah. like yeah. See,
1: that yeah. um that will it'll continue to benefit the running back corpse as well. Um, considering how how well, well that trio did this year, it's I think that,
0: that I mean this is difficult to predict. Um, because I it's. I I can't say for certain like I don't I don't have Will Stein sitting next to me and even if I did I don't have like truth serum to give him to make me tell him make him tell me the truth Uh, I'm left to make a guess and I, I can't guess you know super accurately on this question but there's two possible explanations one is um he wanted to run the ball and he was sort of stubbornly doing so because he felt like that was the right thing to do um, for like, I don't know, ideological reasons. And the other explanation is he knows that he needs to establish the run, even if they're not super successful runs that are, you know, generating huge plays because it sets up the rest of the offense. Um, So like this was a, you know, here's, here's another, you know, I said that the playbook changes. So, in the first five weeks, their run rate is 35%. Um, mm-hmm. right. Just like they're there. The, it's about two to one pass to run play calls in the first five weeks. Yeah. From week six onward, um, it switches to a 47% run rate. You know, it's still, you know, slightly more, you know, passing than running, but it's pretty close to being balanced. And yeah. the rate at which they're running RPO plays triples in, you know, yeah. the, the back half yeah. of the season. Um, And so like, yeah, that's, that's like, that's a real transformation. Um, and like it, but it's not like the runs themselves get a whole lot more successful. He's just more comfortable using the run to set stuff up, um, and using RPOs to sort of, um, make the defense pay for you know overloading against one or the other um and and trusting his quarterback that's the other thing that i think you know bodes well for um for for oregon given they have nicks you know coming back is like you know i think stein said look i've got like a 50 year quarterback i trust him to make these decisions um you know to, to make the play call on the field because that's what an rpo is Absolutely. Um, and, and like well if he's doing that for harris he should be doing it for nicks you know, yeah. and Nick's is definitely capable of it, you know, obviously, uh, he's a quarterback yeah. at Auburn, the, you know, the, the, the RPO part excellence team. Um, you know, so, so like, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I find that promising. Here's the, here's the thing that may be a, a big philosophical difference, um, that, that again, I, I don't, I don't know if this is Will Stein has an ideological preference that he's going to cling to in Eugene, or if, uh, uh, trailer, the, uh, the head coach at UTSA, you know, forced it upon him for ideological reasons. And he will, he hated it and he will throw that yoke off when he gets to Eugene, uh, or. Uh, he shows up in Eugene and Dan Landing says, No, Will, you can't do this anymore. I need you to do this other thing. I, I don't, you know, it could be any one of those three things. And what I am talking about, sorry, uh, I should have led what what I'm talking about, which is the, the drive length. Um, they, UTSA was really, um, a methodical drive team. Um, yeah. um not a particularly, um, I mean, they had some explosive plays. In fact, their explosive passing rate um, was pretty was 19%, which is pretty good. Um, Like 20% is championship caliber. So 19% is, you know, right there um, above 19%. You know, they're right there, but. Although, like I said, um, a, a good chunk of those, about 42%, um, come from short plays that just go big. And I sort of think maybe when he's going up against power five offenses, those that that's less likely to happen. So I don't know. I want to see more d- deep bombs out of the guy, but like it's just not, they're not really dependent on explosive drive. So again, hear me. Let, let, let time to quote some stats. Everybody's going to enjoy this. Um, uh, uh their average uh, okay so uh UTSA had exactly 100 uh f- uh, uh m- meaningful full field possessions so when i say meaningful i mean excluding garbage time and when i say full field i mean that the drive started on their own 40 or or farther meaning they had at least 60 yards to go so i'm ex- when i say meaningful full field possessions what i'm trying to do is exclude like short fields off of turnovers cuz like of course those are shorter mm-hmm. right Um, so 100 nice, nice round number makes all the math real easy. 100 meaningful full field possessions. Um, their average drive length was over seven plays, um, Um, for those that scored touchdowns, uh, they scored 39 touchdowns on those hundred full field possessions, which is okay. It's not great. You want that number to be closer to 50%, but whatever. Um, it it was longer, not shorter. It was 7.23 plays, um, for, for touchdown scoring full field drives. Um, the, uh, um, 27 of their 100 meaningful full field drives took 10 plus plays. That's a lot. Uh, 10-plus play drives are rare, um, but not for DTSA. Um, They scored touchdowns on about half of those, though. Um, And they're not really getting negative drives very often. Only 20 of those 100 meaningful, fulfilled possessions took three plays or fewer. And five of those 20 were touchdowns. They did get some explosive touchdown drives. Um, They're just pretty rare um you know oregon had much more um you know uh uh you know that like remember that ucla you know that beautiful bomb uh you know it was basically on the first play um right like uh, utsc only had a couple of those um so back to what i was talking about a, a minute ago like i don't know if that um So that picture that I hope that all those numbers that I just threw at everybody, the picture that that paints is an offense that's much more methodical than explosively oriented. And Oregon in 2022 was more of a mix. They were methodical when they wanted to be, and they were explosive when they wanted to be. And UTSA was just like, they were methodical all the time, except sometimes they would break a big play. But it was kind of like by accident, if you know what I mean. Like, I I don't think they were trying to do that. It just happened that way. Um, yeah. So like, so I don't know if that bias towards methodical drives, I don't know if that survives the trip to Eugene because I don't yeah. really know what informs it. Um, uh, or, you know, I don't know what the micro politics are between Stein and trailer. Um, I don't know what the micropolitics will be between Stein and Lanning. Um, I don't know how much that's informed by the offensive line, which like that's a huge change that's going to happen. Um, you know, the UTSA offensive line to the Oregon offensive line is like you, I can't find a bigger difference in college football. Um, <laughs> okay. Like that might be the biggest single difference that any human being will experience going from one team to another yeah. is going from UTSA's offensive line to Oregon's offensive line. I think yeah. it will wind up changing a bunch of stuff about what Stein does, but I can't know that for certain. That's it, just guesswork. Yeah. Um,
1: the last A, thing that a, I healthy, to say, a healthy Bo Nix is an explosion play waiting to happen. Right, so, that's definitely true. Yeah, you're going to have to I, utilize that at some but, point. But I think we,
0: you know, it, uh, I, I feel like Harris to Nix, it's not, look, Nix is a more talented dude, no doubt um than than frank harris in fact there's you know a bunch of plays there's a bunch of drives that i think stall out because harris screws up um you know I, utsa fans you know love the guy to pieces you know uh and so when we talked to greg luca of the san antonio express news who we we should have a podcast lined up with later on um this week and and interviewing him will will form part of my article on sunday um and so maybe i won't bring this up because i'm sure as a san antonio dude he loves frank harris nicks is more talented than him but in terms of like structural change in terms of like oh i, I you know it, it it's it's not a, it's not a change right you're going from one good quarterback to another good quarterback you're going from one yeah. quarterback you trust to another quarterback that you trust you're going from a one senior to another senior like i, I don't really think that's going to affect the mix you know with stein it's just a it's just a straight linear upgrade um and in terms of wide receivers same deal like Oregon's wide receivers are going to be more talented than UTSA's no doubt but like UTSA had four really good wide receivers and and, and like in fact three of them were starters and then one got hurt uh, and everybody's was like, oh no, this dude, uh, Clark, uh, you know, he, uh, oh no, oh no, oh no. You know, like you could see, hear it in the booth that the commentators were going crazy. Like, oh my God, so much of, of their production, they put in another dude, Ogle Kellogg comes right on the field and, and replaces him, you know, doesn't miss a beat. It's like this dude they had sitting on the bench at a G five school is like an NFL wide receiver, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I'm not kidding about NFL wide receivers. Like I sincerely believe that all four of those dudes will play in the NFL, um, I don't mean just like they were good for the G5. No, I mean like straight up, they were good. Um, so again, I don't, yeah. that's something that I don't think is a big change between, I mean, it's, it's probably a straight upgrade, but it's not like, you know, Hey, I've got a bunch of good wide receivers to throw to. Hey, and Eugene, I've got a bunch of good wide receivers to throw to. Hey, I've got a great quarterback. Hey, I've got a great, you know, quarterback. Hey, I've got running backs who can, who can get yards after contact. Hey, I've got running backs who can get yards after contact. The big change is, the offensive line um okay yeah and and but i mean your offensive line affects everything on your offense you know like and so you know who knows um but it's a it's a good change right he's he's getting yeah. an upgrade doing definitely so yeah it should uh it, it's been a fun project reviewing the utsa film um, I'm looking forward to writing the article. I'm looking forward to our interview with Greg Luca. Um, as, uh, the, the listener can no doubt, uh, infer I've, I've collected a whole bunch of stats, you know, on this, uh, team's 2022 season. Oh, I didn't even talk about the screen rate. They throw a bunch of screens and they're super good at screens. They have a 73% per play success rate thrown screens, which is like, that's awesome. That's way, 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 way higher than Oregon's. Um, yeah. although I don't really think that's about, uh, um, Play calling, I really just think that they had um, a big advantage uh, blocking on the perimeter with their talent versus CUSA, uh defensive backs than Oregon did um, against Pac-12 um, defensive backs. But whatever, it was awesome to see so many successful screens after watching Oregon kind of derp it on the outside so much. <laughs> and and there's more. I've got more stats, you know, for everybody who's I'm sure very hungry for them to read my article. <laughs>
1: well, we all look forward to it.
0: I'm uh, um yeah but championship caliber success rate 60 62 percent um per play success you know throwing the ball uh, about about the same uh running the ball although not not explosive at all it's just like it's you know five yard runs every time um but like yeah that you know that, that's the standard you know, that, that, that's championship caliber standard and Hey, they won championships, back to back championships. So yeah, we're yep. looking forward to Will Stein. Um, and, 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 and like I said, uh, uh, it should be, you know, I've got, you know, film on every single game that he called and, and I will put them in my article, uh, uh, for, so that people don't have to just trust me. They can look at
1: it. <laughs> don't take your word for it. Take the stats for it. Yeah Right.
0: And, and and the video, like, yeah, that's why I write on the internet and not for newspapers. I can just like, I don't know, man, like it's, it is funny whenever I write about a team, Uh, it will be interesting to write about a team that's like a positive thing, you know, like most of the time when I'm writing about other teams, it's because they're going to be an Oregon opponent. And so, like I, you know, the opposing fan base is like, look at all these cherry-picked, you know, stats and and cherry-picked videos, and I'm like, yeah, dude, that's what I was doing. I watched 12 year games so I could find the one play in which your offensive <laughs> line screwed up. Like, yeah, dude, like,
1: <laughs> oh my god.
0: But it's not what we're doing this time. It'll all be, you know, good stuff. So, yep. All right. I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, uh, Do you have any parting words, wisdom for us, Adam?
1: Well, I think, you know, that football wise, I think everything that you, you know, pointed out um, was, uh, was uh, reason to be optimistic about Stein. Um, I I, I don't think that Oregon will miss a beat offensively, to be perfectly honest. Um, You know, a lot of the, the questions I had were kind of arbitrary, just, just, you know, like, what do you think about it? But Honestly, I, I don't think there's a lot of, you know, even even analytical-wise, you could say that Oregon's going to take much of a step back. Uh, well, a good hiring. I, mean, I they, like it a lot. Um, they just have then, so much talent
0: and so much production coming back, you know, and, and yeah. the, the, the additions that they're making are not like, you know, pig in a poke, you know, kind of deals. They're either super talented freshmen or, or productive, um, you know, transfers. You know, Will Stein could – could just be a replacement level, you know, offensive coordinator and Morgan's offense should be pretty good. And so, you know, the fact that his offense seems to blend well with what they're doing and, and, you know, probably shouldn't, you know, be a, you know, it's not like they're switching to the triple option, you know, like it's not like they got to install the air raid or anything should be fairly smooth. He should at least be a replacement level. And there's a lot of reasons to believe that he's going to be an above replacement level, you know, coordinator. and yeah and so yeah it'll be fun to write the article and I, I hope people enjoy it and i hope that people enjoy your article um about the uh the edge rush because like that definitely is not something that's just on cruise control uh, you know yeah. for
1: the ducks. yeah that's that's going to be a big change yeah.
0: <laughs> uh all right that's going to do it for us this week uh thanks for joining us everybody we'll catch you on the flip side